says Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be reading from verse 9. We read that he, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Set all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and the age to come. Sorry, in the age to come, eternal life. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. And please do keep that open as we'll be going through that um, together. But as we do that, I would just like to ask you of a question of who are the people of Jesus? Who are the people Jesus calls to himself? Who are the people who follow him? Because many times in Luke's account of Jesus' life, Jesus is found with those of no apparent value, with those who had a bad reputation, And this seems to to annoy and confuse all those around him who think themselves to be someone. Those people who have a good reputation. They ask, why would Jesus choose to sit and eat dinner with them? And not impressive people like us. Because many times Jesus has said repeatedly that it is for the sinner, the weak, children, the lowly, and the needy whom he has come to save. And yet, his disciples seem to repeatedly fight for position. 
The Pharisees keep boasting in themselves and the people seem to just not quite get it. A lot of them seem to think that it's just what you do that matters. As we go through this passage, try and just keep thinking about who are the people of Jesus' kingdom. If it's who we expect. And if it's the people that we offer Jesus' kingdom to. In this passage here, we see Jesus is approaching Jerusalem at the end of his ministry. And once again, in chapter 18, Jesus is going to teach who are his people. And to do this, he makes two contrasts. First, it's going to be between a Pharisee and a tax collector. And then afterwards, it's going to be between a baby and a rich young ruler. And in verse 9 of chapter 18, we are told why Jesus makes these contrasts. We read in verse 9, He told this parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And in our culture, like in Jesus' day, there was a sliding scale of who was considered to be good and those who were deemed to be less worthy. Those who are important and those who are irrelevant. That somehow always seems to find that yourself being the important one and others as lesser. This ability to justify ourselves as we condemn other people. And if you don't think it's that common, then maybe you should go and watch an episode of The Apprentice and watch some of the boardroom scenes and where they fight and they tear into each other just at least not to be the worst. They don't mind where they land so long as they don't end up last. And you see it all around us. You see it on Facebook. You'll see it on We Love Stornoway. You'll see it in the comment section of just about anything. Because it's a common thing for us to look at other people and think, at least I'm not like them. Because we have this capacity as humans to to justify ourselves and condemn others. And it somehow justifies our behavior to them. And you see this is the draw of reality TV, where you see others and you you can have a laugh and think, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. We all have it. We we hear a bit of gossip and we think, that's that's not, that's awful. Then something in us makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. It happens in church too. And many of us, especially here in Lewis, have been intimidated by some holy man or woman who condemned us out of hand without compassion or love for not acting like them or doing some outward action that they deem to be essential. Or for us, when we think we are slightly better than someone in this small, tiny way and think we're okay, but they should probably sort themselves out. Or when you see someone walking to church for the first time, you feel a wee bit superior Or you see a Christian make a a mess of things in some really big public way. You say, I can't believe they would do that. They call themselves a Christian. And this is the attitude of verse 9. This is why Jesus tells this parable. It's a self-righteous person who treats others with contempt. The Bible tells us why we have this desire. It tells us why we act like this. Why we have to justify ourselves, often at the expense of others. Because all of us, deep down, have a, have a feeling that something's not quite okay with our own hearts. So we all want justice, we want bad things to be punished, but we worry where we stand. 
have this feeling that there's a right and wrong, but unsure which side of that line we might fall. So quickly draw a line, make sure that it's under us, and then find ways to kind of boost us up, whether that's recycling or donating to charity or whether it's helping someone, whether it's success or money or finding someone else to blame. We tend to find that we choose sides, whether it's a political party or some other group that we can join together with and have others. Yet Jesus says something in this passage today that we can all be sure that we are right with God. Right now. And all of us can have this doubt removed and all of us can have this need to fight and vie with others and compete and condemn removed. We don't, we don't have to have that. And that's why Jesus is making this comparison. So let's look at the first one that Jesus gives. And this parable is simple enough, um, but we do need to notice a few things about it, especially as it can be quite familiar to many of you. The first one is um, this um, two men who are going up to the temple to pray. And this was a normal part of everyday life in Jerusalem. But Jesus chooses to highlight two very different people. That is a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we need to stop here because we have this urge to boo and to hiss like a pantomime villain has just walked on the stage whenever we hear about Pharisees. But yet, that's not how the people in Jesus' day would have seen them. These were good men who who mean well, with a strong desire to be morally upright, who sought to obey God's laws, who they give to the poor and they give of their time and they serve in their communities. And this man proudly tells us just how good he is in verse 11, when he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all I get. And he's speaking some truth here. He was good. He could say he has never done these bad things, and he's positively done these good things. See, he's a model of Judaism in the time of Jesus. And it's similar to most religions. It's an outward show of an observance that is an indicator of your heart that's inside you. You may have met somebody like this, where they do all the cultural things right for their group on the outside. And so they must be okay. They dress right, they act right, they they live right. And though this man here, he has all these holy words and a reverent posture, and he begins his prayer with, I thank you, Lord. This good Pharisee trusts in himself. We see that he stands apart from other people, not to be contaminated by them, and he he treats them with contempt. He prays to God and he says, I've avoided some of these bad things and done some of these good things, so I'm better than them. So obviously, God, you should accept me. And it's not wrong that this man lived morally like this, but the problem is that he bases his standing upon God upon it. And he condemns other people because of their lack. But have we ever been tempted to pray like this man? Have we, have we ever felt the, the drifting into the mindset of comparing yourself to others? To think to yourself that you've made some step forward, in, whether it's in Bible reading or attendance or serving in church, and, and you begin to kind of look sideways, maybe at the prayer meeting, and you think, well, I'm definitely doing better than that. 
so I must be okay. And this is how most of the people in our world live. I've avoided some bad things, done some good things, and I'm slightly better than the average. I haven't killed anyone. And we think that the good outweighs the bad. And then we're told about this other man who walks in, and he, he does walk in like a villain onto the stage. He is a despised tax collector. He would have been shunned by his community. He was a sellout to the invading Romans. He collected taxes for them and, and then added his own cut on top just so he could fill his own pockets. These are people who are considered the worst of the worst in Jerusalem. And this tax collector knows it. We see him in verse 13 standing far off and he, he won't even lift up his eyes to heaven and we see he is beating his breast in anguish. He knows he has nothing to, to show before God. He comes in humility and offers a simple prayer that is a plea. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And a sinner just means that you live your life as, as if you're the boss, not God. That you don't love him with all your heart. And this man recognizes that. He recognizes that he doesn't. He recognizes that God is the judge. And he falls short of what God demands. So he comes to God and he asks for mercy. He knows he's made a mess of things. He knows he's made a mess of things in his relationship with God. His only plea is what we see. God, have mercy on me. See, both of these men seek to be right with God. That's why they're there in the temple praying. But Jesus says only one of these men leaves the temple right with God. And for Jesus' listeners, there's, there's no contest. There's, 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 this isn't even a, a comparison. They would have praised the Pharisee and condemned this tax collector. And, and here in the Isle of Lewis, where so many of us have often been felt intimidated by self-righteous people. And many of us feel that we will never be good enough. We'll never match up to, to holy men. Like this Pharisee, uh, never be acceptable, whether that's to, to come and join the church or whether that's to take communion. For many of us, there's, there's no contest to who's the one we think that Jesus will accept. But take heart and look with me at verse 14 and, and see the shock of this parable as Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. This is a shock. There would have been gasps as Jesus speaks these words. If you met these two men in the streets, or you saw them in church, you would be certain that it is the Pharisee that God would praise. But Jesus goes on in verse 14 to say, why this is the case? Why is it that the tax collector is the one who is justified? He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, this Pharisee, he rests and he boasts in what he has done. And he asks God to praise him, even while he mocks others. Whereas this, this tax collector, he, he stands there humbly before God and, and asks him in prayer to have mercy. This is the only way to, to see need, to see our own need. And admit that I personally need Jesus. I personally need mercy. To forget about judging others or to say that 
I need you, Jesus. God, be merciful to me. And to forget about judging others and realize that it was never about being good enough. Forget about being judged by them. Is the only way you will ever get in is to see that you're never good enough. And the good news is that Jesus says that this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified that day. Jesus says you can be forgiven right now. Because all it depends on is crying out to God for mercy. Not for you to suffer under the weight of never being good enough. Under a burden of a life of activity. Hoping that one day you might be good enough. One day you might balance those scales. One day people might praise you and one day God might accept you. You don't need to wait till the end of your life. You can know you're right with God because of what he has done. This is how we all have to start the Christian journey. This is how we continue. I know I find it harder the longer I go on as a Christian. There was no doubt that I needed forgiveness when I first came to him. But now I've improved so much. Look, look what I've done to serve God. I start to compare myself to others, which seems fine when things are going well in my life. But oh, how I'm so grateful that for this phrase of Lord be merciful to me, a sinner, when I make a mess of things, when I'm reminded that it's, it's only ever by God's grace, I'm really glad that it, it isn't based on my merit because I couldn't do it. What a freeing feeling it is to know that you don't have to find your worth in being better than someone else, but to know that the one whose opinion matters most says that you're accepted, that you're welcome, that you're forgiven. And so then we are free from, from our contempt or looking down on anyone else because we didn't earn our place. We can welcome all to come, whoever they are, whatever they've done or whatever they haven't done. And this is the sort of community of Jesus that, that welcomes anybody to come. But yet, like us, Jesus' disciples have heard this many times. But they struggle to get it. And we see this in what happens next. When we are introduced to the other comparison, another stark one between this baby and a rich ruler. And in verse 15, some, some babies are brought to Jesus. In verse 15, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch him. And these disciples feel the need to step in. They, they think, well, they have no right to Jesus' time. There's far more important people for Jesus to see. When they see these lines of children, they rebuke them and say, no, no, go back, go back. They know that Jesus had just said that anyone can be forgiven and that the humble are the ones who are welcomed, but babies, they're beyond humble. They're helpless. They're like tax collectors. And this is another group of people in Jesus' day who were, who were considered unworthy. They were seen to have no value in Jesus' day. They could offer you nothing, and especially an infant, they need feeding, they cannot care for themselves, and they're often neglected and abandoned. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says in verse 16, he calls them and saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. 
See, children like this tax collector have a wonderful treat. Because they come expectantly. And the children that Jesus has been handed to are, are infants, they're babies. They, they can only receive, they can do nothing. Jesus is telling us that the most helpless person is welcome because of his community of grace. It's not what you offer, it's not doing so much good that you outweigh the bad, but it's, but it's what you receive. See, in Jesus' kingdom, you don't have to be a contributor to be welcome. And you don't have to be wealthy to be honoured. And you don't need to be healthy to be important. He goes further in in verse 17 than just welcoming the helpless. The child, to say that anyone of power, any adult, must receive the kingdom like this child. And what is Jesus saying? That whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I've seen it with my niece and nephew, and you take an airplane of a spoon with food, and you fly it towards a toddler, they will open their mouth, and they will just... They, you, don't, you don't have to do a deal with them, they just open and close, and they just receive. See, Jesus is saying the only way to enter his kingdom is to receive it like a child, as a gift. Then we're introduced to this other character. He's a rich young ruler. And he is being contrasted with a baby. In every way, this this ruler is superior. He has much more to offer. He's the one you would want to be coming into your church. Because, I don't know if you've ever helped out in creche. Babies tend to cry through the whole service. They may need their nappy changed more than once. But this young businessman, oh... He walks in and he's morally upright. He begins to immediately help to serve. And he's also a leading figure in the community. And he drops a large check into the the church's building fund on the way out. In Jesus' day and in ours, it's obvious who you'd want. It's obvious who you think Jesus would, would accept first. We see that with the disciples. They don't show that they're holding this rich young ruler back. He gets the red carpet treatment. Come right up to Jesus. He'd love to see you next. Come on in. As they're pushing children and mothers out of the way and trying to make a way up for, to get to Jesus. But this man comes to Jesus with a question. And this is likely because of what he's been hearing about tax collectors and infants. And seeing that they're the people that Jesus is welcoming... He walks up to him and proudly asks, believing that he knows what he's going to get in return, what answer he's going to get. He says in verse 18, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's expecting a favorable response from Jesus. After all, if babies and tax collectors get in, then come on, he's, he's a sure bet. But Jesus doesn't welcome him like this man or the disciples expect. Jesus instead turns to him and asks a question. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. See, Jesus is telling him, no one is good enough. Why do you call me good teacher, not Lord? And Jesus begins in kindness to help him to see. Jesus asks, you think you or anyone else can be good enough to receive eternal life? Have you not been listening So he asks him, how are you doing in keeping God's law? He says, verse 20, you you know the commandments. 
and he begins to list some of the Ten Commandments. You, you might have noticed that he doesn't list all ten of them. He only gives the social ones. You see that Jesus deliberately misses out the first four, which are to do with God, and the last one, which says, do not covet. And this man at this point should have probably began to realize that he may have been a pretty good neighbor, pretty upstanding citizen, maybe not quite so good in his relationship with God as he thinks. A good response would have been, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, or help me receive the kingdom as a gift, Jesus. That's not what he says. If you look at me at verse 21, he says, All these I have kept from my youth. This is a man who's perfect. This is a man who's, who's blameless. He's not humble. He doesn't see his need for mercy. And so in a kindness, Jesus opens up his heart before him so that he can see his need. In verse 22, Jesus says, when he heard this, he says to them, one thing you still lack. There's something even you lack. So Jesus asks him, he says, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. He's offered to come and follow Jesus. There's a place for him in his kingdom. You wanted eternal life, come empty and receive it freely. That's not what we see in verse 23. When, when this rich young ruler hears these things, he becomes very sad because he's extremely rich. When it comes to Jesus, he calls him a good teacher, but when it comes to following him, or keeping what he owns, he becomes sad. He can't let go. See, his, his money is more important. Even though Jesus offers him abundant treasure, this man who appears to have everything is in fact lacking. And we see what his problem is. It's his, it's his wealth, it's his possessions, it's what he owns. This is what he values most. And for his whole life, and for his whole life he's lived in a culture where what you own and what you do is the way you'd go about being respected by others and being right with God. But when he meets God in the flesh, this good teacher tells him, you, you can't buy this. You can't earn your way in. See, this is a man who claims perfectly to have kept God's commandments. But Jesus left out of his list commandment that says you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. You're not to covet, the seeking to hoard and to hold and to desire possessions, whether that is yours or others. See, what he has has become his God. It is as idol. God was meant to be his treasure, but what is his treasure has become his God. And he meets the God he claims to serve, and yet he doesn't call him Lord. God says, come follow me and receive the eternal life you ask for. But rather than coming and rejoicing, he leaves sorrowful. See, what he owned was more valuable than eternal life. And there's people throughout the Bible and throughout the New Testament who use their money well. Who use what they have and use it and have money. And this is a direct command to this man and his idolatry. 
We're not called to become monks, but still, this, this principle is there and, and is so painful. While we don't need to give all our money away, it's so easy to put our confidence in what we have or what we have done. Jesus, throughout his Gospels, if you read through it, he warns of the danger over and over again of how money and possessions are so subtle in how they come in and take God's place. Because what you have takes care of you. It leaves you very rarely ever in need. You can buy what you need, and you think you can earn your favour with God with what you have. And we can be overly harsh on this man. There's much that we likewise fear to lose when we come follow Jesus that makes us hesitate, whether that's losing our friends, whether it's losing reputation, whether it's what it'll cost us, or even just as simple as a long lie on a Sunday morning. Jesus asks us, what is your treasure? What is, what is your thing that, that Jesus cannot touch? That when he calls you to follow him, you say, not this, Jesus. You can have everything, but not this. It's hard for all of us. We see Jesus' response in 24, verse 24. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus says it's a handicap. Having much stuff holds you and it can take a grip off you. See, the child with nothing comes and receives and enters. For those who have, it's, 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 it's baggage, it holds you. In the world, having these things makes you special. Before God, it, it earns you nothing. And he uses a powerful picture, Jesus does, it, to, to explain this in verse 25. He says, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And as I heard one person put it, you might be the expert parker in your family and you can find the smallest space in Tesco's and get that car in there. You might be good at parallel parking, but you cannot parallel park a camel through the eye of a needle. It just will not fit. You cannot squeeze it. You cannot make it happen. And this is Jesus' point. It is impossible. As listeners begin to get it, They almost cry out in verse 26, considering what Jesus just said to this man. They say, then who can be saved? Who? Who can be saved? This is a good question. This is at last the right question. This is a plea of exasperation. They understand Jesus' call to follow me is not simply difficult, but impossible. What they don't see is actually that's that's the point. That's, this is the doorway of hope because this admission of impossibility on the human part opens a door for the possibility from God. Jesus says that what is impossible for you to do is possible with God. We can't do this. And that makes us uncomfortable. This is why our possessions and what we do makes us so uncomfortable. When we can do it, at least I can try and work. But when it's on God's part, how will I do it? How do I come? And we get intimidated by people and their accolades. But with God, everything's a level playing field. Everyone must come. All need help. All of us are self-righteous in our own way. And all of us need to be humbled. And all of us 
We're sinners who need mercy. And all of us are infants who need help. And all of us are rich and need to see our true poverty. We must all come to God and ask him for mercy. And receive it, like with a baby, as those who need, who have nothing. In your strength, you cannot do it. However strong you may think you are, however good you may think you are, you can't. But God can. What is impossible with us, God can do. And if we were to continue reading just the verses that follow, Jesus goes on to explain how God is going to make the impossible possible. Jesus says he is going to do it for us. He is going to lay down his life for you. God has done it. And all we have to do is come and ask for help as one who is helpless. And to receive it every day as someone who is needy. See, if you still think you can do it, you have no need of Jesus. But if you come to realize that you can't, however hard you try, you will see that the only way is Jesus. And we see Peter gets it. He sort of gets it. He says, look, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What about us? What, what do the people who trust in you get? And Jesus says, for any of you who fear what it will cost you, it will be worth it. Whatever you think is going to be lost will actually be immeasurable gain. And if you're tempted to walk away from Christianity or start to think that something else apart from Jesus will fill that, that, that void and give you treasure now, we need to be reminded that, that, that God is no one's debtor. God makes you a great promise that he will deliver and this world, whatever it can get, offer you, cannot deliver. God gives abundantly to those who seek him. Jesus says in verse 30, those who seek to, to come to him above all else, they will receive many times more in this time and the age to come eternal life. What must they do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. Simply come and receive it. We need to come empty-handed with nothing in our hands to bring and simply to the cross we cling. And this, this is our hope. This is good news for any today who have been caught in this feeling of never being good enough. For anyone today who feels broken and tired after a lifetime of striving to be accepted by God and others. This is good news for the world around us. And this is good news for me. This is the hope that Jesus offers. Freely. So let's pray and thank God in response. Lord, we thank you that you do not just give it to those, your kingdom to those who, who come to you and boast. But Lord, for all of us here who, who see that we cannot do it, who you have opened your eyes to help, Lord, we thank you that you give it to us. You give us all things, not because we deserve it, but exactly the opposite. Lord, help us not to feel intimidated. Help us not to feel that we are not good enough, but to see that you love us. And Lord, help us not to look down on others. Help us not to, to feel self-righteous because of what you have done in our lives. Help us to point all to see that God is good and offers his kingdom to any who will come to him. Lord, be with us now. Help us. And help us this week as we go out into this world. In Jesus' name we pray.